our message, as you see on the screen, series of messages entitled A Whole New World. A Whole New World. And today, as we got to verses 4 through 8, uh, I believe it's telling us how to live. And we're going to call today living in this whole new world. Living in the new world. You know, when we think about it, when we journey through Acts, we're going to find the disciples there, like the disciples, like we disciples, living in this whole new world. It's kind of an unusual world. For that matter, any new world, are y'all with me? Any new world is an unusual world. Now, I want to illustrate this. Would you let me? Uh, I'm going to put on the screen a picture of, of Brazil, maybe. Brazil. Now, some of you have probably seen this in geography class, but if, has anybody ever been to Brazil? No, Rio de Janeiro people. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to tell you. You see, the, you see Brazil here, and you think, oh, that's okay. That's a pretty good-sized country. But here's, here, I've got a, let's see if y'all, can y'all see that? Can y'all see that little marker there? Okay. What I want to tell you is that I flew in to Fort Lisa and we, and we, and we bust over to Tanjua. Uh, and uh, uh, here's what I want to tell you. From Tanjua down there to all the way down to Rio de Janeiro, this is what you don't realize. It is closer from Foxworth, Mississippi to Los Angeles, California than it is from Tanjua down to Rio de Janeiro. Different world altogether. This is important. Hang on just a second here. This is important. We're going to show you this little sliver of land right here. Go go ahead if you will. You see you got Fortaleza right there, which is where we flew into. And over here is Tanjua. Now, that looks like no big deal, a 15-minute drive. But listen to me. It's a five-hour bus ride. And so when I got there, I had a great week, met beautiful people, Honestly, we saw about 100 people come to salvation in the Lord. In eight days, we built a building. But I'm going to tell you, go ahead, we'll go forward. I'll show you some of the people here. That's the little praise band that started us on Sunday night, and then I got to preach to the Brazilian people through a Portuguese interpreter. It was a wonderful night. And then the next day, we went out, and uh, this is where we had our devotions. That was the little structure they had there, and we were building a building. Go ahead there, uh, Ben. And that's the corner of the building as we are getting started. One more. I think I got one more and you'll be done. And, and we built a block building. The foundation, the slab was poured. We started working on it on Monday morning and we had a service in it Friday night. And the service was packed. I, I think that's all of my Brazil pictures. But I bring that to you to tell you this. Is that when I got to Brazil and spent eight days there, you know what I discovered? I discovered a whole new world. Culturally, it was a new world. Socially, it was a new world. Dietetically, it was a new world. And I can tell you a lot more personal things that it was a whole new world in that I will not get into. But here's the deal. I was in Brazil, so I had to adapt to that world because that world was not going to adapt to me. You all understand what I'm telling you? And it is in that backdrop that... That I want to say to us that sometimes we may even fail to recognize that when Jesus came, he came to set up a whole new 
world for us. He spent his life teaching about this. He instructed his disciples about this new world, how it should be, the rules that should guide it, uh, how to live in it. He taught them and showed them about this new world. And listen, and then he died to create this new world. When When you really put it in your mind, when you believe in Jesus... And you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you determine to be obedient to him. You embark on a new life. In a new world. With a new standard. With a new vocabulary. Living differently than you used to live. That's difficult. Let's just be honest. We're just Greek people. This, This is difficult. To get our heads around and our hearts around because if we are honest, we have literally spent our lives trying not to change too much. Trying not to make too many changes. And yet Jesus tells us, he teaches us, and he demonstrates us, and he points us to changes that can't just simply become behavior modification in our lives. Here's why. Because we're it's two worlds. We used to be a part of the kingdom of darkness. That's how we were born. That's where we were born. That's what Ephesians tells us. The kingdom of darkness has its own set of rules. Even its own culture. In Jesus... We now live in the kingdom of light. And it's a whole new world. The environment, the standards, the culture, our lives are different because we are now a part of the kingdom of light. Not not only are these things that I've mentioned different, but the rules are different. The rules are different. This is what Jesus was communicating When we get to Acts chapter 1, verses 4. I want to read verses 4 through 8. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? Pardon me. Picking up in verse 4, it says, While he, that's Jesus, while he was with them, he commanded them, Not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, and get this picture, baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you will impact our heart and you will draw us to the truth about living in your new world by your set of rules, that we hear your words, that we respond to you, that we expect from you. Lord, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This is going to be a very simple message this morning. As I read this text and as I think about living in the whole new world, there are just three thoughts that jump out at me. If you have the bulletin, you can write them down if you'd like to. The first one is the command to us. Now, I know it's given to him, but the command to us. The command that is found in verse 4 is the most difficult command. Verse 4, I haven't gotten to verse 8 yet. The most difficult command for us to honor, for us to fulfill, is found in verse 4. And you know what it is? Wait. Hello? Wait. I mean, in the historical context, I want you to think about this. According to 1 Corinthians 16, there were 500 people on the mountain where Jesus offered these words. 500 people were there and told to return to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. We know that to be the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have a clue what it was. They were just told to wait. They didn't know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit. It's true. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost and filled them all and 3,000 people were saved, it was at that point that how God dealt with man, mankind through the Holy Spirit changed in the Old Testament. You can read about the Spirit came upon him, the Spirit came upon him, the Spirit came upon him. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit dwells in them and then fills them up. And we, and we know that they waited for the Holy Spirit. We know that they prayed for the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit came. And when they got what they didn't know they were waiting on, they just knew it was a promise from the Father. When they got it, it was greater than they could have ever imagined. How do I know that? 3,000 people got saved. Hello? 3,000 people got saved. It was worth the wait. Hello? The truth is, the truth is, is that when it got there, when the Holy Spirit came, when he came, when he filled up the people, it was more than they ever thought it could be. But it doesn't just end there. Paul says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we get... How do we get really filled with the Spirit? I'm really about to rock some of your worlds. First of all, we have to wait. But we don't wait and get lazy. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. That's how we live in this new world. Now, some of you really don't like Jesus this morning because he just tied baptism with the Holy Spirit. But you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That means, when I think of the word baptism, how many of you remember Grady Nutt? Two people. All right. Poor Grady. He's one of the funniest church people I ever met in my life. For those, he was a pastor, and he got to doing his, his uh, he, wasn't, he didn't call himself a comedian. He was a humorist. He found real stories, and he just shared them. And uh, I'll never forget what Grady Nutt said on Hee Haw one time. 
the prime minister of humor, he said, Baptist. We get our word from baptism. He said, baptism means put them under till they bubble. He said, it also, baptism also can mean dip. He said, aren't you glad, all you Baptists, that we chose Baptist instead of dip? He said, if, if we hadn't chose Baptist and baptism, it, instead of being the Southern Baptist Convention, you'd be the Southern Dipped Convention. And perhaps the president of the convention would be the Big Dipper. So that's just kind of what I, you know. The truth is, Jesus said you're going to be baptized with this spirit, in the spirit. I know we don't like putting those two words together in the Baptist church, but Jesus did. But I want to dig a little deeper about what's going on here. This is, this is interesting as I started thinking about it this week. Jesus told them to go and wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Well, well. Were they just supposed to wait? Well, no, they knew what to do because the, the believers in the first century knew that when you had time on your hands, your default position was pray. Hello? Your default position was not to gossip, was not to play on Facebook. It was to pray. Wait and pray. So they went back and they waited and prayed. Waited and prayed. They instinctively knew what had to be done if they were going to really receive the promise from the Father. But I want to bring something to your attention today. When I put this story together this week, when I put this story together, Mount of Transfiguration, he says, go back to the Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He said that to 500 people. And how many made it back to the prayer meeting? Less than 25%. If that wasn't a church full of Baptists, I don't know what was. 500 people on the mountaintop. 500 people heard him say the words. 500 people heard the command. 500 people saw the ascension. 500 people were told to wait, and only 120 made it back. Less than 25%. Who were present when Jesus did his work and told his words. Less than 25% of those people came back and watched this. So, less than 25% of the people experienced the divine event and were there when 3,000 people got saved. When I read this this week and was praying through it, something occurred to me. I understand you're smarter than me and that you probably already thought about this. Jesus told all of them to go back, 500 to go back. Only 120 made it. And, and 3,000 people got saved. And we go, yeehaw, 3,000 people. That's great. I have a question for you. How much greater would Pentecost have been if all 500 had been there? Hello? Would there have been 12,000 people saved if everybody had been obedient? See, here's the, the command to us is to wait, to believe, to pray, to receive. You see, living in the new world demands that we wait, that we pray, that we expect, and then we will receive. If we don't pray, we don't hear. If we don't ask, we don't receive. If we don't wait, we don't experience.
living in this new world as God's people. The world that he set up means that we pray and that we wait, that we expect and that we receive. And when we receive, we respond. It's a matter of faith. That's what he's called us to. The command to us. But as we look at these disciples, the story goes on. And the second thing I lift out of here is the confusion in us. The confusion in us. In the new world of following Jesus, his desire is for us to think and act and talk and live different from the rest of the world. Do I need to say that again? In Jesus' new world, his desire for you and me is to think and talk and act and live differently than we did before. That kind of rubs people the wrong way. They'll kind of roll their eyes. They'll they'll kind of bury their heads in their hands. They'll do whatever. But if you look at verse 6 and 7, watch watch where we lift. Watch what it says here. Verse 6. So when they had come together, that's the disciples and Jesus, 500 of them, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? I'll pause there before I read verse 7 to say, from the very get-go, the Jewish people thought Jesus had come to reestablish Israel. Certainly Israel is his people, no argument there. But the world that he came to establish, the world he died for, was his kingdom, a new world. Now, verse 7, he said to them, it's none of your business. He said, it's not for you to know the times and periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He essentially said, guys, it is none of your business. Can you see the confusion? You see, the truth is they want to talk about political things, and he wants to talk about kingdom things. They want to talk about worldly things. He wants to talk about spiritual things. They want to talk about temporal things. He wants to focus on eternal things. At the end of his ministry, a lot of his disciples were still confused. Is it any wonder that 2,000 plus years later that we are still confused? There's still confusion all around. And, and I, could, I could be here another hour talking with you about this. A report from late 2016 tells us that most people believe that God wrote the Bible. Well... I'll swallow that if you say God's inspired word because God inspired man to write the Bible. But if God had taken a pen in his own hand and written the Bible, maybe they'd have a point. But here's the confusion part. They believe God wrote the Bible, but they're not sure that everything in it is true. Now, that confuses me. Just so you know, but you know this probably better than anybody, my brain don't work right. never has. In fact, so everybody knows, my wife told me that if they ever got brain surgery, a brain transplant perfected, she wanted my brain. And I said, why is that, sweetheart? I'm thinking she's going to be sweet. She says, I just want one that's never been used. (laughs) You see, see, the the, the deal is is that I'm confused because how can an awe-inspiring creator, perfect God, produce an imperfect word? Hello? Scott McConnell is the director of the Evangelistic Research Center, and he reports this. Watch this. Most Americans, and this 
play, this plays to the confusion in us and our world, in this world we li- this world we live in, this old world. Most Americans still identify themselves as Christians. And we thought, well, that's good. Well, that's fine, except the problem is they really don't know why they say they're Christians because the details of what their belief is are really unclear. You come inside the church, still confusion. And I'm just going to give you a simple statement for this. Here's why there's so much confusion inside the church. It's because when it comes to belief systems, I'm not talking about practices or anything like that. I'm talking about a belief system. It is because this culture has impacted what we believe and our thinking more than we have impacted what they think. The contrast of the old world and the new world. The old world, the old world, think of I want to speak to anybody who feels like the old world's got it all together. Please listen. The old world has kind of a a sliding scale of ethics and morals and principles. It changes from day to day. Brother Jerry, can you prove that? Well, sure I can. I've watched it. What we used to say wrong is wrong has now come to either whether it's okay or it's right. What we used to know would be evil, well, now we try to say is good. That is the world that, that is the old world. And it's the old world because of the Lord of the old world who will do whatever it takes to get you into his world. It's Lucifer, Satan, the devil. He's the head of the old world. And I will just say something else. Satan, the Lord of the old world, he will have his people give their life for his cause. It's true that Christians die for their belief system, but Jesus gave his life for our cause. The difference in the old new world. The new world of Jesus is not controlled by changing principles. God gave us a defining principle right here. That's, the, that's what his world is all about. It's a standard for life. It's a standard for living. It's a standard for walking. It's a standard for talking. It's a standard for relationships. It's a standard for believing. It's a standard for morals. You may not like it, but it's there. You don't like it, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the uh, ultimate Arthur. You see, God makes the rules. And the Bible says there's no shadow, there's no variation of turning. You can find that in James 1. There's no reason for confusion because Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. Oh, Brother Jerry, things are changing so much. Well, guess what? I'm guessing that the Creator God saw into the future, and that's why He gave us a solid rule to live by. And I'll just say one other thing. There are some things that we don't have a right to know now. If you've got somebody in your life that's got God all figured out, you better grab your your pocketbook, your wife, your husband, and your children and run for for, uh, the hills. Because the Bible tells us that we see in a glass darkly. The Bible tells us that one day we will know as we are known. There are some things here on earth that we don't know about. Our lack of knowledge should not be confusion, but rather confidence in him. Because Jesus clears up all confusion if we'll take him at his word instead of trying to twist his word into what we want it to say. 
His command to us, wait and pray and expect and respond and receive His, His, the confusion in us. There's some things that you're getting wrong because you're looking at the temporal world and Jesus wants you to look at the new world. And then I conclude with the third thought. In verse 8, he gives us the course for us. Now, verse 8 is kind of a pivotal verse. We will probably include it as we start next week. It's a pivotal verse. It's a very familiar verse. It's another rendition of the Great Commission. And the truth is, when you read it, it goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Most every translation renders it like that. Again, my mind don't work right, so let me tell you. I'm going to put it in sequential order. Watch this. It starts when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's when everything kicks. That's when things change. That's when life, that's when life gets really good. You see, Jesus, a couple of verses earlier, said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be put under the Holy Spirit to your bubble. You're going to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And when you, and when you, it's not if you get the Holy Spirit. It's not in case you get in the Holy Spirit. It's not anything, but it says when you get the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, the Holy Spirit should come on you if you've truly trusted Him. And the reason the Holy Spirit is important is because when the Holy Spirit comes in you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, you will now have the power to live His life in His world. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not have that power to live in the new world. And the reason so few are doing well in the new world is, listen... Hang on. Is that so many of us have sensed the Spirit in our lives and we kind of kicked Him to the curb and we're just going to do our best to be better, live better, and do better. It's called behavior modification. And when the Holy Spirit is kicked to the curb, you know what? Then that verse comes to life if you reverse it. You know, we love to say, over First John, greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Ah, uh, come on. Greater is he who's in you than he who lives in the world. Amen. But watch this. The antithesis of that is true. You better take this to the bank. Greater is the one who lives in the world than you are by yourself. You kick the Holy Spirit to the curb because you think you know better. You can do better. You know what happens is that you will find yourself flat on your face. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to overcome the temptations of Satan. He'll give you the power to overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He'll give you the power to overcome the lure of the world, whatever's pulling you in. He only gives you power through the Holy Spirit to live and be what He wants you to be and find joy and find peace and find hope and find happiness and find love in the midst of this world. When you walk in this world, with the Holy Spirit in your heart and the power that accompanies it, then you will possess both the passion and the power 
to be witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witness. Without the Holy Spirit, here's what happened. Man, I know Jason Stringer needs the Lord. And every time I get in the presence of Jason Stringer, Satan taps me on the shoulder and says, this is not a good time. He's not in a good mood. He won't listen. And when you have the Spirit in you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can go, what Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Jason, let me tell you about my best friend. And it's all about the course that we travel. When we get the Holy Spirit in us, his heart becomes our heart. His life becomes our life. His way becomes our way. His passion becomes our passion. Okay, listen. His joy becomes our joy. His joy becomes our joy. I mean, how do you view this new world that I've unpacked for you today? Is it something you just endure? I was thinking about it yesterday as I was thinking about maybe um, a series on marriage down the road. A preacher friend of mine, years ago I heard him preach a message. He talks about marriages. And he says, you know, you get married and you have two incompatible people trying their best to be compatible. Marriage is hard work. It's the hardest work you'll ever do. And, and what happens, particularly if you don't have the Holy Spirit, is that people are today, all right, when first sign of conflict, they're out the door. He said, in your marriage, you have three choices when conflict comes. You can get out. And people are doing that at the rate of about 40, 45% today. You can just get out and walk away. And you say, well, divorce, well, yeah, you know, a lot of other ways to get out of marriage than divorce. Go cold and dead to your partner, to your wife, your husband. Get out. The second way, I mean, let me give you the third way. The third way is to work it out with prayer, being sensitive to each other. I'm not going to give you the whole message. It's a long time, but, but the middle way always intrigues me. You can get out, you can work it out, or number two, you can tough it out. Just grin and bear it. It was the same pastor who is a dear friend, a very wise person, but he said something one time that I really, we've not ever had a chance to talk about, but we will one day. He says, love is commitment. Love is commitment. And you go, Brother Jerry, isn't that true? It's not inaccurate. It's not inaccurate. It is incomplete. Certainly love is committed and commitment. But I'll just tell you something. When we lived in, a, in George County, I was committed to Wells Fargo. They held the mortgage on my house. I certainly didn't love them, and I didn't love that golly whopper of a check that I had to write every month to pay the notes. You got what I'm saying, Eric? But I was committed to them. I was committed to Ford Motor Credit. I didn't love them. In fact, quick as I could, I got out of that. You understand what I'm saying? 
You see, when we love somebody, not only are we committed to it, to them, we are committed to their well-being. We're committed to, to what's good for them. And see, folks, when we're committed to Christ, when we love Christ, we're committed to Him, and we're committed to what serves Him well. And when I read verse 8, this, this thought popped into my mind this week. In my experience, which I know, I, old uh, young people will say I'm old, old people will say I'm young, in the scope of the rock of ages and, the, and God, I'm certainly a kid. Been around 68 years, but here's what I'll just tell you that I've observed. I've never observed a spirit-filled Christian, a spirit-filled follower of Christ who is not concerned for other people. Not just for their physical well-being, but for their spiritual well-being and their eternal well-being. You see, living in Jesus' new world, after we have been saved by his power, retrieved from eternal death, after we have been saved, comes a a mindset change. Instead of majoring on our agenda, we major on his. Instead of doing what I want, we look for what he wants. Mindset change is part and parcel of the heart change and being saved. The Holy Spirit speaks and we respond. Jesus saves us and the change becomes evident to all who see us. And we become a part of his new world. We have his spirit in us to teach us how to live, to show us how to live. I want to ask you, we've gone through just a number of weeks of God just speaking to our hearts. Are you in that new world? Are you a part of that new world? Has it influenced how you change? Has it influenced how you live? Has it influenced how you walk? Or just simply about being in church? He has set up a whole new world for us, and he invites us to be in his new world. Let's pray together.